From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. There is a generation, lots of them still alive, who remember when families would gather around the Bakelite tabletop radio and tune into shows like Gene Autry's Melody Ranch, or The Shadow, or Little Orphan Annie. In those days, the first news of important events came to waiting ears from that big box in the living room, and the radio became an instrument for shaping people's thoughts and perceptions of the world around them. For some in that generation, the first stirrings of patriotic feeling are associated with what they heard with their families on the radio. So remembering that generation, we're delighted to bring you right here on Highway 89 excerpts from a show called Singing the Stories of America. It's a production of Utah Lyric Opera, or ULO, and it's a live on-stage evening of music and storytelling cast in the mold of an old-time radio variety show. Positioned at their microphones, even as we speak, is our cast, Scott McDonald, playing Don Fleming, the announcer, Laura Schmidt, as herself, the storyteller, and playing the Singer Sisters, Kelsey Mariner, Corianne Johnson, and Lisa Zimmerman. Our accompanist, back for her fourth time here, we need to punch a frequent performer card for Emily Williams. The show was written and directed by Elizabeth Hansen. We'll speak with her and some of the other cast members. The cast is ready to take us back to radio's golden age. So without further ado, and live from the fictional radio station KULO, here's an introduction to Singing the Stories of America, right here on Highway 89. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to KULO, Provo, Utah. God bless America, land that I love. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Singing the Stories of America, an evening of tried and true stories and songs about America and her heritage, presented by Utah Lyric Opera. Utah Lyric Opera, when you choose to hear the very best. I'm your host, Don Fleming, and tonight's show stars nationally recognized storyteller, Laura Schmidt. And for your listening pleasure, we have the lovely singer sisters, Betty, Betsy, and Bonnie. Tonight's program is brought to you by Cereal. Mom, when you want to give your kids a nice breakfast, but you just don't feel like making it, give them the next best thing, cereal. Cereal is good for them, especially if you pour milk on it. It's fast and easy, and wholesome too. And kids just love it, don't they, Betty? That's right, Don. Thanks, Betty. So Mom, when you have got better things to do with your morning than make a hot breakfast, Give your kids cereal. Cereal. It's what give your kids uh, uh, when you really don't care.
That's God Bless America, of course, by Irving Berlin. Commercials written by Liz Hansen. And we are hearing little bits and pieces, excerpts of singing the stories of America. I think I felt the spirit of Kate Smith enter like a mighty battleship. And I remember her, too. Isn't she <laughs> wonderful? This is a conversation for a moment here with writer and director of this program, Elizabeth Hansen, Liz Hansen, who recently, most recently, totally blew me away as... The Mother Superior and Sister Well, thank you. I I am superior. What can I say? (laughs) Real quick, you've been writing, directing, acting for live stage shows for film for a long time. And besides national television and film writing and acting credits, you were in the first national tour of Evita, directed by Hal Prince. Hello, Dolly, with Carol Channing. You've been off-Broadway and on-Broadway with A Day in Hollywood, Night in the Ukraine, La Vie Parisienne with Madeleine Kahn, even understudying Mrs. Anna in The King and I with Rudolf Nureyev, and I, I need to know if he can sing. Uh, he can barely speak. Okay, well, he dances well. So, Liz, let And me... he did. <laughs> and he did. What's unique about writing for radio with all of your TV and live stage credits You chose radio for this. Well, I have always been a big fan of the 40s and 50s. In fact, I used to say to my mom, you know, I think in the pre-existence, I slipped over the fence and came and just kind of hung around in America during the 40s and 50s because I just love it. And there was something about radio. Radio makes you use your imagination. Mm. And that's what I love. It's like it's like reading, only better because you don't have to read. (laughs) Because I hate to read. I can't read. I don't read well. So I love stories, and I love storytelling. And, you know, radio was wrapped up in... in Did you have a favorite program? I'm not that old. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. In reruns, I meant. Uh, Yeah, when KSL in the 90s started rerunning those. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but you don't have to be that old to be a fan of the harmony of the Andrew sisters. Absolutely not. You know, and I was thinking about... I was thinking about... We're, we do Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy in the in the show. and we, Don't worry, listeners. We're going to get to it. We're going to do that one. <laughs> it's really good. And, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. And I remember the first time I was introduced to that was when I was in high school, when Bette Midler came out with that song on her Divine Miss M album. And, of course, I didn't care what my parents thought because I didn't like the 40s because my parents liked the 40s. But when that came out, it just opened up this new world of music and harmonies that I'd never heard before. So you're kind of recreating history. I mean, was that part of the fun challenge? You wanted to do this. and Because you could have done a program of patriotic songs that wasn't a radio show. It's true. What I wanted to do was I wanted to create something that no one had seen before, and that's really hard. And and people haven't seen radio. So you, <laughs> you yeah, it's true. I mean, where do you go to see radio? I mean, you can go to YouTube, but basically what you see is an announcer with a big headset on, and, you know, we don't have radio shows anymore. And that's what I wanted to, to help create something that we don't, we don't get to experience anymore. Mm. And that's the fun of this show. Well, you took us already clear back to 1918 with God Bless America. And you're going to take us back even further with what I think is one of the most touching parts of the show, back to the 1860s. We do this lovely reading of the last letter of Sullivan Ballou. Of course, it was kind of made famous in Ken Burns's Civil War series, but it's such a beautiful letter written by an average American who felt such duty and honor to this country that he was willing to sacrifice 
everything. And he so eloquently puts down what he's willing to sacrifice mm. in this letter. And it's just exquisite. And what I've done with it is just weaved in music of the time. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Yeah. I want it to be a surprise. But it's just a lovely rendition of the letter. Thank you for setting that up. We better hear it now. Here is the cast of Singing the Stories of America. We'll let them take it away with more old-time radio on Highway 89. And now, ladies and gentlemen, in a few minutes, we'll be cutting to our affiliate in New York for the latest news and a word or two from our national sponsors. But before we do, Laura has asked me to join her at the mic to read a letter from a husband to his wife he wrote just a week before he fought in the first battle of Bull Run. That battle at Bull Run was the first major engagement between the North and the South of the Civil War, a war that took the lives of more American soldiers than the Great War and the Second World War combined. This is the last letter of Sullivan Ballou. Headquarters, Camp Clark, Washington, D.C., July 14, 1861. My very dear wife. Indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write you again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. Our movement may be one of a few days' duration and full of pleasure, or it may be one of severe conflict and death to me. Not my will, but thine, O God, be done. If it is necessary that I should fall on the battlefield for my country, I am ready. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how strongly American civilization now leans upon the triumph of the government and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. But my dear wife, when, when I, I know that, that with, with my, my own joys, joys I lay down nearly all of yours and replace them, them in this life with care and sorrows, when after eating for long years the bitter fruit of orphanage myself, I must offer it as their only sustenance to my dear little children. Is it weak, weak or, or dishonorable, dishonorable while the banner of my purpose floats calmly and proudly in the breeze. That my unbounded love for you, my darling wife and children, should struggle in fierce, though useless contest with my love of country. I cannot describe to you my feelings on this calm summer night when 2,000 men are sleeping round me, many of them enjoying the last, perhaps, before that of death. And I, suspicious that death is creeping behind me with his fatal dart, am communing with God, my country, and thee.
I have sought most closely and diligently, and often in my heart, for a wrong motive in this hazarding the happiness of those I loved, and I could not find one. A pure love of my country and of the principles I have often advocated before the people, and the name of honor that I love more than I fear death, I've called upon me, and I have obeyed. Sarah. My love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet, my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly on with all those chains to the battlefield. The, the memories, memories of, of all the blissful, blissful moments I have spent, spent with you come crowding over me, and I feel most deeply grateful to God, to God and you that I have enjoyed, enjoyed them, them so long. long, and how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years, when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our boys grow up to honorable manhood around us. I know I have but few claims upon divine providence, but something whispers to me that I shall return to my loved ones unharmed. If, if I, I do not, not my, my dear Sarah, Sarah never, never forget, forget how much, how much I, love I love you, nor that when my, when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and the many pains I have caused you, how thoughtless, how foolish I have oftentimes been. How gladly would I wash out with my tears every little spot upon your happiness and struggle with all the misfortune of this world to shield you and my children from harm. But I cannot. I must watch you from the spirit land and hover near you while you buffet the storms with your precious little freight and wait with sad patience till we meet to part no more. But, oh, Sarah. If the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they love, I shall always be near you in the garish day and the darkest night amid your happiest scenes and gloomiest hours, always, always. And if the soft breeze fans your cheek, it shall be my breath, 
or the cool air cools your throbbing temples, it shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, Sarah do not, do not mourn, mourn me. Think, Think I am I'm gone, gone and, and wait, wait for me, me for, for we, we shall meet again. again. Oh, Sarah, I wait for you there. Come to me and lead thither my children. Sullivan. letter of Sullivan Ballou, interspersed, of course, with O Shenandoah. So interesting that some of the most precious pieces of Americana came out of wartime. I suppose that's because there are so many different emotions. We're listening to guests, performers from the Utah Lyric Opera who are performing and singing much of... Uh, much of America to us. Singing the stories of America is the program. Speaking now with Scott McDonald, who is playing as Scott Fleming, the announcer. Uh, are you an announcer in real life, or you just play one on the radio? Well, I do real announcing in real life, but it's not a kind of a thing that, except in very fortunate circumstances, like, well, maybe you, you can't really do that full time. But I've done voiceover work and uh -huh. acting and all kinds of good things like that. So do you have somebody you keep in mind, or did you grow up with a favorite announcer or DJ, somebody on the... Uh, it's funny you mentioned that I come from an acting family, and in fact, I haven't told anybody else in our cast, but I uh, have a, a grandmother, and her sister used to have a radio program in San Francisco back in the 1920s. And we've kind of kept that tradition of performing going for a long time. So I always remember my father and uh, my other family members reading to us mm. and telling us stories. And I didn't realize how lucky I was to have that kind of talent in my home. Reading to you in their radio voices, their acting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, you've talked about how you're trying to create an experience for the audience that's different from the experience they might otherwise have going to see a play or a concert. Tell me about this a little bit. First of all, the intimacy that you have with radio. I mean, you've got somebody who's right there in your ear. But when you're going to a live performance, you're seeing both those things the magic that it takes to create a radio drama and sing these beautiful songs live, but you also have them standing right in front of you. They're not very far away. And I'm sure that you've had that experience yourself when you've seen people weep or laugh or, or feel great emotion because you're so close. It means something to them and it means a lot to the audience. So putting this show together, just picturing you all on stage and rehearsing, how is this different from 
other shows or plays or musicals that you've been in? Well, I, I used to think radio didn't have blocking, but I was crazy. <laughs> I didn't realize how much, stand over there, talk, put your head up over here, do this. Uh, but that Th- is Those sound like exact quotes from your director. Uh, you know, and she's probably always saying, Scott, stand over here, be quiet. I feel a little bit like an errant 10-year-old, but we're not going to go into that. Anyway, the point is, a lot of the experience is different, and it's the same. I've done radio work, and it hasn't been a live broadcast. Typically, you can do things over and over again. You can try different tones or sounds or whatever. But a live show, you can't cheat that way. you got to do it live, real live, right now. And the immediacy, I think, is what gives it excitement, yeah. certainly to the performers and I think to the audience. That's why we like doing this show live from the, from the top running straight through. Uh, you also talked in a, a promotional video that I saw about an invitation to come back to notions of real patriotism and what that means as opposed to a kind of a fake patriotism. Well, do you, do you love anything you have not sacrificed for? So people talk about, oh, I love this, or I, I think that's very valuable. But the truth is, unless you've made sacrifices for it, I wonder, do you appreciate it? The country is like that. Hmm. So Sullivan Ballou, in his letter, is talking about the love he had for his wife. He had sacrificed for her and felt guilt of, of serving his country, even though he knew he should. Hmm. There are people who claim to love a school or a church, but will refuse to give anything in their lives for it. Do they love it? Do they care about it? So what we're trying to do here is to talk about the United States and why this matters so much to us. Which, by the way, I have to tell you, is a challenge to my fellow reader and I to go through such emotional and true material without getting emotionally overridden by it. That's hard stuff. Tell me, uh, do you have a favorite thing in this rehearsal process or something you learned? Uh, I suppose one of the things to to learn is to be in that second, in that moment. Now, when you're doing a stage play, for example, you're trying to carry along the story with you. The, the character you're representing and his lines change throughout the production. In, in this, you have to not only have that same arc, but you also have to be in the moment to perform at that moment when a fellow performer who's not right with you is ready, when you have a musical cue, and it has to be now. So you've got to be flowing a little like an orchestra, I guess, where you have a conductor who's carrying you through as a united body. This is Scott McDonald. He plays Don Fleming, the announcer in the show. Scott, thank you very much. We're going to head back to music, and we're going to hear from the cast of Singing the Stories of America. The sisters, we've been waiting to hear them. Uh, Betty, Betsy, and Bonnie, the singer sisters, played by Kelsey Corianne and Lisa, with another song from the show. This goes back even further in history. Okay, we're talking 1700s now. This is Johnny Has Gone for a Soldier, an English folk song that became very popular in America during the Revolutionary War.
Johnny is Gone for a Soldier, performed by Betty, Betsy, and Bonnie, the Singer Sisters, in the show Singing the Stories of America. Coming to you live on Highway 89, this is the Utah Lyric Opera. I'm speaking now with Laura Schmidt. You are a storyteller in real life. I am indeed. So what did you think when an opera company said, hey, want to be in our opera? I jumped at the chance. I couldn't think of anything that would be more fun. Well, it's a cast of an old-time radio show, a patriotic program, singing the stories of America, written and directed by Elizabeth Hansen. Tell me a little bit about the show's title, The Singing the Stories of America. Do you know, the stories of America are essentially the history of America. Uh, you know what people were really feeling, because history itself can be rather dull. But a story tells you how people felt. And music does the same thing, so you combine those two and you have something magic happening. So you are a storyteller. You, you go to storytelling festivals. You have that experience. Typically, you're probably telling a story nobody's heard before in the audience. Uh, do you know, if you hang around stories long enough, probably everybody has heard every story. <laughs> and I'm convinced there are only 12 stories in the world, 12 plots, and mm. then every country does its own little cultural thing with it. Uh, but um, hopefully you'll surprise the audience. And hopefully we're surprising the audience with this one. Because we know the story, we think, of the Civil War, and yet to hear that letter and to really focus in on one person... Oh, again, what, what it does is it, it makes it human, and it takes it down from, you know, all the, sto all the soldiers who died down to one man who was lost to his family. And that's, I, I wish I could say that was acting, but I get all over verklempt every single time. <laughs> that's a good thing. With all this storytelling, it's not always just entertainment. You've worked with storytelling at Primary Children's Hospital, youth detention centers, in the classroom. So tell me about that work you do. Do you know, stories teach. In fact, that was one of the first reasons stories were told, was to teach. And, but they teach without pounding the lesson in. Mm. And so you hear it and you learn it without pain. And for the kids in, in state's custody or the kids um, yeah, at primary, um, it is an escape from what's actually happening. And for the kids in custody, it's often the idea 
that there's more to life than they see their lives. They tend to see their lives as a very narrow reality. And hopefully story helps them to see there's more than that. What do you see in them? Or what do you hope to see when you're sharing stories in kind of a difficult, a bit, they joke about this is a hard crowd. Oh, except they're, <laughs> they are truly a captive audience. You know, okay. that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> What do, you, what do you look for to know that you've connected with them? Oh, do you know, the wonder of story is that you always know that you've connected. And it's such a personal thing. When you tell a story, everybody's making their own pictures in their heads. And so they are, in a sense, in a sense finishing my stories mm. because they're supplying the very personal pictures. So all of the stories in the show, do you, can you pick a favorite uh, do you know, one of the stories that I really love to tell is a story that I ordinarily would not find myself telling, and that's The People Could Fly. And it's about the slave experience. And, you know, because I, I don't see myself as the typical teller for that story, I have really tried to do it with as much respect and compassion as I could for for what those people faced through no choice of their own. Laura, thank you very much. We're going to hear uh, <laughs> we're going to hear the song we promise you in just a minute. But just a sort of a wrap up. We're hearing performances from Singing the Stories of America. It's a stage production presented as an old-time radio show with a talented cast of musicians, singers, announcers, storytellers, and those performances you've heard of Shenandoah, Johnny's Gone for a Soldier, Irving Berlin's God Bless America course, the last letter of Civil War soldier Sullivan Ballou. And we're going to bring you one more performance that if anyone said, name three singing sisters, talk about World War II, this is the one that comes to mind for everybody. It's the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, written by Don Ray and Hugh Prince, recorded by the Andrews Sisters in 1941, almost a year before the U.S. entered World War II. And over the course of the war, it became one of the iconic tunes of the era. And... Here it is, performed by the cast of Singing the Stories of America, live on Highway 89. Okay, girls, let's give the folks out in Radio Land a little something special. A song that was a big hit during the war years by the Andrews Sisters. Girls, how about you sing a little American swing? Okay, Don. He was a famous trumpet man from out Chicago way. He had a boogie style that no one else could play. He was the top man of his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's a boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. They made him blow his bugle for his Uncle Sam. It really brought him down because he couldn't jam. The captain seems to understand. Because the next day the cap went out and drafted the band And now the company jumps when he plays Reveille He's a boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B A toot, a toot, a tootly attitude He blows an H to the bar In boogie rhythm he can't blow a note Unless the basic guitar is playing with him He makes the company jump when he plays Reveille He's a boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B He is some boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B and when he plays Boogie Woogie Bugle, he is busy as a buzzy bee. And when he plays, he makes a company jump and into the bar. He is a Boogie Woogie Bugle boy of company bee. He blows it into the bar. He can't blow a note. 
I'm your host, Don Fleming, and the second half of tonight's show is brought to you by condiments. Whether it's ketchup or mustard, relish or chili sauce, horseradish or mom's mayonnaise, condiments add a little flavor to your favorite food. It makes bland taste not as bland. So all you wives out there, include a condiment or two on your husband's favorite dish and see if it doesn't spice up your life. I'll bet a little ketchup is all he needs. Condiments, it makes life flavorful. He puts the boys to sleep with Boogie every night and wakes them up the same way in the early bright. They clap their hands and stamp their feet because he knows how he plays when someone gives him a beat. He really breaks it up when he plays heavily. He's a Boogie Boogie Bugle Boy of Company B. A toot, a toot, a tootly attitude. He blows it into the bar. In Boogie Rhythm, he can't blow a note unless the bass and guitar is playing with him. And the company jumps when he plays heavily. The Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, written by Don Ray, Huey Prince, and you just have to know, we need you to know, that they are the guys who wrote other hits like Celery Stocks at Midnight, Scrub Me Mama with a Boogie Beat, and The Boogly Woogly Piggy. I'm glad we chose this one tonight. It's been great fun spending an episode of Highway 89 with the cast of Singing the Stories of America, a patriotic stage production presented in the format of an old-time radio show. We've heard Scott McDonald as Don Fleming, the announcer, Laura Schmidt as the storyteller, and the singer sisters, Betty, Betsy, and Bonnie, played by Kelsey Mariner, Corianne Johnson, and Lisa Zimmerman, Emily Williams, our accompanist, and Elizabeth Hansen, writer and director. Singing the Stories of America is a production of Utah Lyric Opera, ULO, and you can visit www.utahlyric.org for more information about singing the songs of America and about the great things Utah Lyric Opera does year-round. For those listening at home, if you just caught part of the show, want to hear the first part, hear it again or share it with a friend, it's easy to do. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org slash highway89. And follow us on Twitter at BYUH89 for live show updates and special behind-the-scenes photos and video clips. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our student assistants are Abby Vance and Victoria Hardy. And the show's producer is Sam Payne. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>